Good morning, everyone. I want to ask you a question to start out with, and then I'm going to have a word of prayer. The, someone once said that here is the test to find out whether your mission on earth is finished. What is the test to prove that you're, you've finished all God's work? What is it that shows that you're not done yet? You're still here. Exactly right. You're still here. And uh, that's, that's so profound, that thought to realize that God has a plan for us and that, that we need to fulfill that plan. And the, a scripture verse to back that up is Acts 13, 36. It says, For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep, or he died, and he was buried with his fathers, and his body decayed. And so today I want to look at that. Look at that in, in light of, of mission. Uh, what is our mission in life? And uh, let's have a word of prayer and then we'll get started. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you as we open it and and just look at this life of Abraham and how that you um, asked him to give up certain things and you blessed him in other areas. Lord, we just help us to be able to apply that to our lives in the way that you lead and guide us every day. In Jesus' name, amen. So like I said, I want to I want to look at the life of Abraham today. So if you have your Bibles, open to Genesis Chapter 12, we're going to spend a little time there. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. Let me read that for you. Starting in verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to a land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions he had accumulated and the people that he had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Now, as we look at this section of Scripture this morning, there's some things that, that God had asked Abram to give up. Let's look at those first. By way of introduction, this is our introduction here. The three things that Abraham, Abram was told to give up, the first one was he was to leave, leave your country. Said. What does that mean to leave your country? It means your, your familiar surroundings his way of life, his standard of living, all those things are encompassed in leaving your land. Now, how many, I'm curious, how many of you um, live in this area, but you're from someplace else? From someplace else. Okay. You know, God led you here. And, and this is what, what, what God was saying to Abram. He said, I want you to leave. Your familiar surroundings, all that stuff. What was the second thing that he asked him to give up? He said, leave your people. Leave your people. His friends, his co-workers, his neighbors, everything he knew as a child, all his friends and everything, God said, I want you to leave them and then go on. The third thing he asked him to give up was his family, his relatives. You know, those families back then, they had lots of, lots of family members. 
and he asked them to give them up. And he asked them to that family life that he knew. And he was never going to come back to that again. Never going to come back. And God said, you know what? These three things I want you to give up. But that wasn't the end. The trade-off, what God asked him to do was simple. If you, if you see what blessings God was going to do on the other end. And there's, I don't think there's been anyone on this earth that has been as blessed as Abraham was. When you, you think of, you know, Solomon was very wise and rich, but yet, as we see what happened to Abraham, you'll see how blessed he truly was and how blessed we are to have him in, in, obey, in obedience to God. Alright? So what was the first thing? There's, um, there's, when, when God says, I'm gonna bless you, he said there were, there were some lower blessings and some higher blessings. We're gonna look at the lower blessings first. And these three lower blessings correspond with the three things that, that God had told him to give up. Alright? So this is the trade-off. He says, I will make you a great nation. This corresponds with leave your country. He said, you leave this, I'm going to make you into a great nation. So you got to trust me in this, Abram. you got to trust me in that. Now look at this map. Uh, you see the map behind me is the where he had lived. Ur of the Chaldees is right there where that cursor is. That is, today, that is what country? Iraq and Iran. Back then, it, was, it, was, it became the country of, of Babylonia, Babylon. And we all know what happened to Babylon. What happened? It was destroyed. Nebuchadnezzar, you know, as we go into history up to the life of Daniel, he, the pride and everything took over and, and, and uh, Babylon was destroyed. So God said, this is a country that is falling. This is a country that is going to be... I want you to come out of here because this country is not going to last. I'm going to make you into a, uh, a great nation. So I want you to leave your country and go on. And um, you, know, our, you know, everybody knows about Iraq and Iran, how that they hate the Jews. They hate Christ. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not a place that you would want to raise uh, godly principles in there in those countries. Second thing, God says, I will bless you. And, and God had told him to leave his people leave all his familiar friends and co-workers, surroundings like that. And he says, I'm going to bless you because of that. And he's going to make up for it in many ways, in many other ways. The third thing he said was, I will make your name great. He said, leave your family because I want you to leave your family. I'm going to make your name great. He's considered the patriarch of, of our faith the father of our faith. And he created a new nation. He's a patriarch of a new nation. Those are the three lower blessings that, that he was going to give him. Now the higher blessings, the more things that he probably didn't understand or comprehend at that time is that as we look on, he says, you will be a blessing. Here he is living in tents, going around living in the desert, but yet you're going to be a blessing. You know, that, what does that, what does that mean? He was not merely the subject of a blessing. He was the, he was the medium for that. Through two others, Abraham 
as he as you see through his life he probably didn't see all this at the beginning but through him we'll see in a minute here the whole earth was blessed through him he says you will be a blessing second thing he told him this higher blessing well in in, in part of that um that first thing i will bless you he was the father of the jewish nation and and the, the muslims consider him their founding father and the christian faith and and they're all blessed through through him the second thing there is that i will bless those who bless you and i will curse those who curse you and this is the interesting thing is that when god said this to abraham at that time i don't think he really understood the ramifications of that i don't think he 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 really and the, and the interesting thing is in here is that as they were as a jewish nation as a whole as they walked with god you see this as they went into the land as they obeyed god and they um followed his statutes and everything they were blessed and the countries that blessed them were blessed and the countries that cursed them they they defeated them but what happened to israel when they were not walking with god who took them over the countries that were cursing them right their enemies they're the ones who took over them so it it is almost a, a a conditional promise that god said here you know what? if if you're if you follow my my commands and my statutes and my laws i will bless you and then those countries that are your allies i will bless them also now after world war 2 what happened to our us economy prospered why is that i think it 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 stems because we were allies with israel during that time god blessed america we see this economic boom that took place and and uh the dow jones and all these things i mean our country was just being blessed at just all the time because we were we were respecting israel honoring them and being allies with them now our our uh, government this past week has has said some things that are very disturbing for the jewish nation dividing jerusalem and and taking it back to the 63 or whatever those that year was boundaries and and uh it's almost like that it it's going against israel what's going to happen to us as a country because this promise is true which i've seen it as you read the scripture you've seen it happen over and over throughout the scripture those that bless and and our allies with israel will be blessed and uh so a little bit disconcerting a little bit but um lord knows and um it's interesting the last thing that he says all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you and this is the part i don't think abraham said wow i think the savior is going to be born in as one of my relatives i don't think he understood that but he just walked by faith and said god you know what i believe it. okay all the peoples of the earth will be blessed because of my obedience to you and what what you've asked me to do now if we look at the that word peoples peoples of the earth it's the hebrew word mishpaha i don't know how to pronounce it mishpaha or mishpaha 
I don't know. It's right there. But it's a, a, a Hebrew word which means clans, family, or people groups. And, and, th- and this is all because Abraham was going to obey God, that all the earth was going to be blessed, all the clans, all, every people group was going to be blessed because of Abraham's obedience to God. And we all know what that was, right? It was our Savior. If you trace the line of Jesus all the way back, it all goes all the way back to Abraham. And uh, he, is, he is our Savior, our Redeemer, our King. And, and that came through Abraham's obedience to God. So we see that there were a few things, there were a few things that um, Abraham was asked to give up. But on the other hand, you have all these blessings that God promised, six different things that God promised to bless him with. All right, that's our introduction. That's our groundwork that we're setting this. So as we look at that, what about us? You know, I, some of you raised your hand saying that, that you moved here, you left your home state. Nobody moved out from another country, did they? I lived, how many have lived in, you've lived in another country? You came here. I lived in another country. I went there. And how many have been out of the U.S. into different cultures and countries and stuff? So quite a few of you have. So you experience a separation when you when you go to to there. You you know you miss your familiar surroundings, your favorite restaurants, your friends that you hang out with, and and all these things that you have to start all over. And Whenever I get a chance to speak to to young people that are getting close to graduating, I like to ask them this question. What do you think God wants you to do with the rest of your life? What are you going to be when you grow up? And uh, well, they get, you get a variety of different answers. You know, I want to be an architect. I want to be a computer scientist. I want, to, I want to be a football player. I want to be a dancer. I want to be a rock star. All these different things that, that, that young people want to be. Then I say, but what do you think God wants you to be? What do you think God has gifted you to do? What do you think God has is given you the ability to do for Him? You know, I don't know. I don't know. They don't know. And uh, and this is the interesting thing is that that to find God's will in our lives at times we we have a hard time understanding. They don't have a clue of what what God's will is for their life. And so I, I began to think a while back. I said, why is that? Why is that, that that God doesn't just verbally speak to us and say, I want you to do this? So I, I have these uh, five, five reasons that, that people um, that have for not understanding God's will is that you know, God doesn't speak to us the same way he did Abraham. Okay? There are times that God can do that. And there's times that Satan does it deceiving himself as God, like we have yesterday. We're all still here. That's deception. He believed God was, he figured out God was talking to him and stuff. I met a guy one time that was, it was here in our church for a, a couple days till he realized that he's not going to get anywhere here. Um, he, he told me one time that God speaks to him verbally. And that Jesus speaks to him. I says, well, how do you know? And he says, because God calls me son and Jesus calls me brother. And uh, he had the weirdest 
outlook on, on life that, that you could imagine. And um, finally, you know, as, as I talked to him, showed him scripture and stuff, he decided that this was not the church for him uh, because he wouldn't be able to, to uh, live his deception. So people, you know, they, they think, well, if only God would just speak to me. Tell me, I want you to go work at AT&T. Or I want you to go and do this. To be a school teacher, to be a missionary, to be a pastor, whatever it is. That would be nice, because then we'd know. But he doesn't always work that way. And, uh, and so people begin to question, well, what is God's will for my life? And then they read the Bible... And the Bible does not have a blueprint in it for you. That you're going to be born on this date. You're going to, your parents are going to be this, these people. You're going to live in this town. You're going to get this job, marry this woman, have this many kids, and die at this age. The Bible does not have a blueprint for us like that. But what does it have? Principles. It has principles for us to live by. And as we get to know those principles of Scripture then God can begin to lead us by His Holy Spirit. As we get to know Him better, then, then we can uh, be led by Him. Then another reason that people don't understand the will of God is that parents sometimes, they, they have these visions of what their kids should be. You know, I was raised poor. You know, I lived on welfare. I don't want my kids to do that. I am going to make them go to school. I am going to make them do this. And, uh, and so there's that pressure from their parents to conform. My brother, my oldest brother, is very smart. And my grandmother wanted him to be a brain surgeon. He, he thought that was pretty cool. And so he started at the University of Michigan. And after a year, he said, you know what, this is not for me. Um, he quit. And he ended up starting his own business as a roofer. And, and that's what he did his whole whole career. He's 60-something now, and, and uh, he's, he's been in roofing business. He, you know, he worked on the top, but just not quite as difficult. And, uh, and because he, he said, you know what, that's not me. I can't do that. I can't be forced into something I never really wanted to do. And um, so parents a lot of times put pressure to try to steer kids in the a, in a right direction. I, I know their intentions are good. I'm not criticizing parents. But... Sometimes as parents, we have, to dis- we have to decide, you know what, is this really God's will for my child, that, that he makes a lot of money, that he goes into this prestigious college, that he does this and he does that? It's not always the case. God has gifted each one of us differently. And, and our children, we have to have God's discernment and will in order for them to be guided by him, just like we should be. The next thing that... that um, holds people back from getting to know God's will is the desire for money. The desire for money. And because I didn't have money growing up, I want my kids to make a lot of money so that they don't have to struggle the way I did. Or, you know, I, life should be comfortable. They should have the big house. I was talking to my daughter and son-in-law um, day before yesterday doing counseling. It's premarital counseling, but after the fact. And uh, we were talking about money issues. And I said, what is it in our society that, that you measure success? How do you measure success? And it's the, the size of house you have, the kind of car you drive, the clothes you wear, the school your kids go to, the college they attend, and, and all these things, the friends you hang out with, the people you know. That's your, the measure of success according to the world. 
And, and I, so I was asking them, my son-in-law, I says, what is it for you? And he says, well, man, my yard. I want to have the best yard in our neighborhood. And so he spent a lot of time and energy, you know, getting fertilizing and getting that grass green and transplant. Because when he bought that house, it was really overgrown and it was a mess. And he wanted to prove to his friends that, that he could succeed in that. So for him, it was his nice yard. And I said, what is important to God? What is important to God? Well, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. The fifth thing that, that happens is sometimes we may think that, that our kids should do, the, that young people should do this or that because they feel pressure from other people. For example, he's a good football player. So he feels that pressure that he's got to perform in, in football. And so it's just, he's big, he's strong, he's fast, he's got good hands, or he's a good quarterback, whatever it is. And so people put pressure on him. Colleges will come. You know, he's having fun in high school playing football, but really in his heart, he, he, he knows there's something more to life than just playing football. But yet he feels this pressure to conform. Maybe it's somebody in music that they're really naturally talented in, in music. And so they, they feel this pressure that, that they need to be doing this. It may be where God wants them. It may be. But is it? They have, to, they have to know that before God. All right? So even when I talk to adults and ask them if their current job is where God wants them or not, they're not sure. You know, is this really where God wants you to, to, to work? Is this where God wants you to give your life to this to this business. They don't know. And many people are, are not happy with their jobs. I talk to people probably weekly that just feel miserable in their jobs. So why is that? Why is it that, that they feel that? And there's a, there's a number of reasons. First one is that it's not the right job for them. They, they got it because like it goes back to the first one, the desire for money or they were pressured into it or they, you know, they, they felt that they need to get this type of job so that they could have a, a successful life. So it's not the right job for them. The second thing is, is that you have an unfair boss or deplorable work conditions. People are unhappy with their jobs. That happens. I just talked to a guy the other day just hates his job. His boss is just all over him, demanding that he works all these hours and... And it's just terrible working conditions. He's unhappy there. And the third thing is that they experience too much stress. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that in a little bit. And they don't look, the fourth thing is that they don't look as, at their job as their mission field. This is key. This is key. Because our job is not this 8 to 14 hour day that we put in over here including commute and everything and then you have God over here on this side and the twine don't meet the tw- you know they never meet it's not true I, this was really hit home to me one time when um, I, I got a job at Merrill Lynch and my wife was working there too and so we would commute together and, and I began to look at my job as just a job you know I was teaching a small group I was I was involved in the church choir and, and ministries here at the church, but my job, I'd go there and, and put my time in, and, and then I would leave. But my wife was sharing with me one time on the way to work, because we, we go together, and she was just sharing, man, this is so awesome working here. I said, what do you mean? She said, I've got to lead Colleen to the Lord, 
I've gotten to come alongside Emron and, and, and encourage him in his faith. I've got to talk to my boss about his faith. Her mission field, I mean, she just rebuked me. And, and so I changed my attitude after that point that these people that God has put me around, that's my mission field right there. And that I need to be a part of their lives and, and, and just be all that God wants me to be. And the fifth thing is that maybe it's just not where God wants you. Maybe that's not where God wants you. Maybe you're becoming um, dissatisfied and, and uh, antsy for something else. There's got to be something more to life than this. What is it that God wants me to do? So let's, if we take the example of Abraham and apply it to our lives, what would that look like? So let's look at those things that, that we talked about earlier. God had called Abram to away from his, his land and his family and his friends. He may be asking you to do the same thing. He may be saying, you know what? I've got something more for you out there. Can you trust me in this? Can you, can you just, just seek, seek me and allow me to lead you? And it could be a short-term thing or it could be a long-term thing. For example, you know, we have uh, mission trips coming up. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes here. That uh, God might be saying, you know what? I want you to go and do that. I've, I've put that desire in your heart, so let's start, let's start working on that. The second thing that, that um, we look at as example is that Abraham was blessed because he obeyed God. You think God would do that for you? Yes, he will. He promises that if we walk in obedience to him, that he will bless us. Now, it might not always be money or things, but I'll tell you, the satisfaction of living in the center of God's will, there's no greater joy. You know, if it is being a school teacher teaching little kids, whatever the Suzuki method, but you don't do that anymore, do you? A little bit, yeah. I could never do that. That's not my gifting. Steve, my heart goes out, well, my hat goes off to you that you can do that and get these little kids to actually perform a song, uh, that's neat. But I couldn't do that because that's not me. There's certain things about me that, that you pr- probably drive you crazy. For example, the other day when I was on Long Island, I was at Home Depot, and the guy, two guys, that we were in line. There was three of us in line. The guy in, in the front that was checking out, he had this thick rope. He had an axe. He had a bunch of batteries. I said, what's all that for? And, and he said, the world's going to end. I need, <laughs> I need help. And he said, there's going to be this big earthquake and Long Island is going to be going 150 miles a day toward Brazil. And it's going to land in Brazil. And I don't know what he's going to do, tie it off onto one of the Verrazano Bridge or something. I don't know what he was going to do, but he had an axe and a rope and batteries and all this stuff because he was preparing for the end of the world. And, and I thought, man, how can you believe this stuff? He says, yeah, but haven't you looked at the polar? The polar angles and things have all changed over the past four years. I... Anyways, I just begin conversations. I was walking home. I almost get home, and here's a guy that's laying pavers down. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to talk to this guy. I want to learn how to do pavers. So he's professional. I could learn from him. So I walk up to him, and I said, listen. I'm, I'm here, I'm just visiting my daughter down here. Can you tell me how to do this? Teach me. So he did. He took about 15, 20 minutes and just showed me how to do pavers. So now I can do it 
at home. And, uh, and that's just me. I just go and talk to anybody. And after the service, I was talking to somebody else, and, um, and they said, you know what, you're exactly like my husband was. We would go on a cruise or something, and we'd get in the elevator, and, and, and people would say, hey, Bob, how you doing? Hey, Bob, what's going on? Hey. And he knows everybody's names and their life stories and all this stuff. That's just what gets my motor going, is just talking to people. And, uh, and that might turn some of you off. That might scare you to have to think about going out and doing that. But that's, that's the way it is. And that's where I feel that, that as I'm obeying God, that, that I can go up and talk to people. I can, I can do what God wants me to do. And he blesses me for that. And he'll do the same for you. The last thing that Abraham was rewarded for his faithfulness. He was rewarded. And this is the thing we have to remember. There is a reward for when our faithfulness to God. We might not see it on this earth. He never promises that we're going to live a comfortable life. He never promised that if you follow me, everything will be smooth and hunky-dory. He said, no. You follow me, there will be trials and tribulations. People will persecute you. Your name will be ridiculed. And what did they do to Jesus? They crucified him because he was obedient to his father. Well, how can we expect anything less than that? All right? So we will be blessed because of, of uh, our faithfulness and obedience to God. So what do we need to do to be obedient and faithful to God? I want to read a couple of verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. It says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God. And you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God in your body. It says, honor God in your body. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. The things that, that God is, has done for you was to purchase you. Before you became a, a Christian, who did you belong to? Satan. You belong. You were a child of Satan. That you obeyed him because sin is easy. Sin is easy. But living a godly life in a corrupt world is not. So when we put our faith and trust in Christ and his shed blood, he bought us out of Satan's family into, we were adopted into his own family. And we were bought with a, a huge price. That, that cost his life and shed his blood. He sent his son. So, as we think about that, when I was sharing with my um, son and daughter, uh, son-in-law and daughter the other day, I asked them this, well, we were talking about finances. And I said to him, God owns everything. God owns everything. He says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything that is on this earth including your money, including your house, including your kids, including everything belongs to Him. And we are His stewards. We are the caretakers, the ones who manage for Him. He's entrusted that into you and I to manage for Him. How are we doing managing His, his possessions? And that everything we have is, is because God has chosen to give us. All right? If we want to succeed in life, if we succeed in life in God's standard, not in the world's standard, then we walk in obedience to Him. 
and we just do. Therefore, you are bought with a price. Honor God with your body, everything you have, your whole self. It could be as simple as taking a new perspective at your current situation to actually leaving and doing something extreme for God. You know, it might, it might be just tweaking a few things in your life that God might be speaking to you about. Or it might mean just, you know, stepping out and saying, God, you know what? I'm here. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to, what do you want me to say? I'll do that. To do something extreme. Let's say, for example, um, you have a coworker at work who you've noticed lately is becoming, you know, a little distant. There's something going on. And you can sense it. And you sense that God is asking you to go and speak to them, but you don't do it. That, that could be something that, that God is saying, you know what, this is what you need to tweak in, in there. Because your job is your mission field. You don't have to go down to uh, West Virginia, New Orleans, or Africa, or anywhere else. Your mission field is where I have you. So let's start taking steps to, to, to do what God wants you to do. You need to get up and, and go and talk to them and say, you know what, let's go get some lunch. Let's go... Let's go talk and see what's going on. And you just begin to asking them questions because people like to talk about themselves. And as you begin to talk, then you can get to the bottom and say, well, what really is the issue? You know, my, my wife's threatening to leave me and, and uh, she ran up the credit card, you know, $50,000. I don't know how I'm going to make it. All these things that, that this guy is facing and you have a chance and opportunity to come alongside and encourage them. All right. Second thing is that you've allowed your testimony at work to, or at school to be tainted by the world and you feel that, that you really need to make a stand for Christ. That's where we, we get in our, in our work where people compartmentalize work over here because in my work, I've, I've, I can't be totally honest in my work. Otherwise, I won't get any, any people. To where God over here calls for complete obedience and honesty and integrity. And so we keep them separate. We've compromised. We've tainted our, our work ethics to fit into the world. When it comes to taxes, you know, we find, find ways that we can get the government, you know, we pay the government less money in, in, in our taxes and things like that. Little things that, that God looks at and said, you know what? If you could be faithful in these little things, you know, I'm going to entrust into you bigger and better things. See, let's do that. Another thing is that um, you may be feeling restless in your spirit, thinking that there's got to be more to life than just this. There's got to be more to life than just going to work. And, and I worked at a, at a battery factory one time when I was in Bible college. And it was just a weekend job. We made batteries, the cases, the plastic. It was a Gold plastics. And we would stand there and this machine would come together and the plastic would be shot in there. It would sit for a couple seconds and it would open up and stuff would fall down and you grab it, clean off a couple little rough edges, stack it up. That was the boringest job I've ever done. But that's where God had me at that time. I would not want to make a career in a production shop. It was just not me. But I had to... I was beginning to get restless in my heart. When I was working, I was a machinist in a, in a machine shop. And that's what I thought I wanted to do with my whole life. I wanted to be a machinist. 
But God had other plans for me because the gifting that he had given me and, and the abilities. He said, you know what? You're going to be working, but it's going to be with your mouth a little bit more than your hands. And so the things that I learned in the machine shop, learning to read blueprints and micrometers and, and, and keeping things to scale and all that stuff, I, I, I've used that a lot in my mission work around the world and helping people when they're building homes and things because I can read a blueprint, I can design a house, I can do this and that because of all the education I've had. But he wanted me to do more of the uh, spiritual end of it. And uh, so I, I thought, that's cool. I became restless in my heart that there's got to be something more to life than, than just working like this. And, and so then we went into mission work. The last thing here is that maybe you've been challenged in your heart of late listening to the this last series on the Ten Commandments, you've been, God's been speaking to you about, about getting involved in things like on-ramps or uh, mission trips or you know, serving on leadership here at Cornerstone and uh, getting involved in a small group. That, that You're sensing God is doing that, but you haven't made that step yet. You haven't stepped out and said, you know, well, how can you use me, God? How can I be a part of it? There's a verse in Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That goes back to prove what, what happened with Abraham. If you read further into the book of, of, uh, of Hebrews, in that chapter 11 there, you'll see that Abraham... Although he couldn't, he didn't know where he was going. He couldn't see the future. He believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. And so God may be speaking to you in some way. We've got all kinds of opportunities to um, to, to live by faith. When was the last time that that you had to trust God for something? Let's say you got into a conversation with somebody. And they asked you a question that was way beyond you. What did you do? Did you, you know, make something up? Or did you say, God, you know what? I can't handle this situation right now. I need you to lead me. He is faithful in that. I, I tell you, I, I am not a quick thinker on my feet. I can't, if, if somebody starts confronting me about something, I get all tongue-tied and stammer and, and I, I don't feel confident in myself. But as I pray and I give that to God, I say, God, I need your wisdom right now. I do not know what to say to this person. I can't, I don't know what to do. And then just to watch after the fact, you step back, and you step back and, and wow, God, where did that come from? I, I can't do that in myself. I don't know where that came from. It's God working through us. In the, into the lives of other people and helping us to be a blessing and, and using us to help change people's lives. What an awesome privilege that is. What a peace that comes over when you realize that I didn't do that in myself. I can't take any credit for that because that was all him. And uh, that's, when it's, that's when it's awesome. Or are you content with the status quo? You know, you come to church, put your five bucks in the offering, You've done your duty for the week. You know, there's, there's more to life than that. There's more to life. There's more excitement. God wants us to live a life of excitement and adventure. 
If you're not the adventurous type, he's got something for you that fits your personality, and, and he'll, he'll do it. We've got a few opportunities coming up this summer that, uh, that God might be speaking to you. We've got a trip going to West Virginia in a, in a few weeks in, uh, in July, and, it, and this is the smallest team we've ever sent down. I don't know why. We've, this is the largest our church has ever been, over 500 people, but yet this is our smallest team we're sending to West Virginia. Why is that? What's going on? And that, that, we, that people aren't stepping out and saying, you know, God, use me. Take me down there where these people that earn less than $5,000 a year need help. They need people to come alongside them and encourage them and help them to um, have, have a better image of themselves and, and be able to help them out of their poverty. Um, if you're interested in going, talk to Ralph because he, he needs some more people to go down. Oh, New Orleans. You know, we've got a team we're trying to assemble to go to New Orleans in, in July. And also with the, with the tsunami that hit Japan, we're considering putting a team together to go to Japan. Maybe God's leading you into that to be able to take your um, building skills or whatever it is and, and, and go to Japan with us. That's not something to consider. Life is full of adventure. Life is full of challenges and that, that you have them at work, you have them at school, at your neighbors and your friends, your relatives. And one of the hardest people for me to witness to are my relatives. I don't know about you, but I just have a hard time confronting them. Not confronting them in a bad way, but just saying, you know what, how's things going spiritually for you? you know, what, is God, what part does God play in your life? And uh, because of that familiarity, it just, it just doesn't work. But I want to leave you with these verses in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. It says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men or women who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hard, hardship with us like a good soldier of Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Who is our commander? God. And so our goal should be how we can please Him. When, a, when guys go into military battle, we have people in our church who are, their kids are in the military or you've been in the military yourself. You're told what to wear, how heavy your pack is going to be, where you're going to sleep that night. You're told everything. And, uh, and the military is not the ideal picture of God because He doesn't get in your face and scream at you like some of those drill sergeants do. But yet, the same principle is true, that he is our commanding officer. And we need to be doing what he asks us to do, no matter what. It might seem difficult, it might be hard, but yet the joy at the end of the journey. It's a journey of a lifetime. It's a journey that, that we, we begin by getting to know God's word, getting to know him, and, and just allow him to lead us and guide us in, his, in our lives. Let's stand for prayer. And Father, we thank you.
for that, that grace that we can experience, the blessings of, of obedience, the, the rewards of faithfulness. God, just give us a, a glimpse of yourself today in, in how that you desire us to walk faithfully before you. That we can, as a church, step it up a notch and be all that we can be as individuals and as a church. Lord, we commit each person to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.